0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cyclocross Social Podcast. Today, the first ever World Cup took place in Benidorm. The World Cup finally returned to Spain 11 years after Igore. There was finally a successor for Kevin Powles and on the men's side, that was a Macho van the Poel after what was truly an amazing race. With me here to discuss that, coming from the ground in Benidorm is Isam.
1: Indeed, thank you for having me.
0: Hopefully, you will be able to provide us with some details on the racing. I will start with a brief summary on the men's race. Macho van der Poel had the fastest start, but as the course was lightning fast, he struggled to create a decisive gap. He had one advantage, and that was that he was able to ride the sandpit almost every lap, whilst the others were struggling. Pitcock, he was racing his last race of the season, And in the beginning of the race, he looked alive. He was leading and put the pressure on the rest. And that eventually led to a leading group of six riders. We had besides the so-called big three of Van der Poel, Van Aert and Pitcock, Elie Iserbiet, Laurensweeg and Kevin Kuhn. However, it quickly became clear that Pitcock went a bit too deep in all of those efforts as he was dropped when Van Aert attacked for the first time. It was pretty clear that Van Aert and Van Der Poel were the strongest, but as it was a pretty fast course with some draft effect kicking in, they looked at each other multiple times, leading to the others coming back. Eventually though, in the final lap, we saw a great battle between Van Aert and Van Der Poel. Van Der Poel knew that he needed to be in front in the sand because that's where he was able to open a gap, so he launched a very late dive bomb in the off-camber uphill corner just before the sand pit. He forced van Aert wide and succeeded in taking the lead. However, van Aert also managed to ride through the sand very well in the final lap, and that meant that van der Poel could not create a gap. Van Aert then took over the lead on the road section and tried to put the rest under pressure, and mainly van der Poel, but van der Poel did not give in. He then, in the technical downhill, launched a very late move down the inside of van Aert and managed to take the lead on a very crucial moment. A small slip just before the second pit zone still saw van Aert almost pull alongside van der Poel, but van der Poel stayed calm and jumped over the barriers first. That was his goal, he wanted to create a small gap there, but he didn't succeed in creating a gap. But what he did have was the lead. And that proved to be crucial, because he from there on just went full sprint. Over the grass section and onto the tarmac, van Aert was in the wheel, but he ultimately wasn't able to pull alongside. Going through the final corner, he was on the outside of van der Poel, and the road simply ended there for him. He almost went into the barriers. Luckily, he didn't crash, which means that van der Poel took the win, his fifth win of the season, ahead of van Aert with the third place eventually going to Ali Iserbeet. A great race is some. The fast course without really any super decisive features saw a close battle with other riders able to stay close. What was your thought on that battle between Van Aert and Van der Poel? Was it really Van Aert who gave it away by allowing Van der Poel to make these audacious moves down the inside and that he should have positioned himself better? Or was it more the class of Van der Poel that he was able to make these moves?
1: Well, I think that maybe Van Aert was a little bit surprised that Van der Poel made that move there. And in the end, that was the decisive move. But I think Van der Poel, if he didn't do it in that corner, he would have probably tried it somewhere a little bit later on the course. And I think that overall, (laughs) while they are actually very close to each other, they're quite different riders, I think. Van der Poel is definitely somebody that has a higher risk factor, but also make some moves where you think, <laughs> what's going on? And Van Aert is somebody that's a bit more calculated. Is probably technically a little bit less compared to to Van, to Van der Poel. But yeah, I think that today it was, you know, it was very difficult to, to open a gap. You could really put somebody under pressure, but it was just, it, it was fast it was also in a way that that you could not really get rid of somebody if he doesn't make a mistake. If he would have made a mistake, um, both Van der Pool or Van Aert, and the other one was ahead, then it was almost game over because then you have guys that maybe that were in your wheel that are gonna be overtaking you, or other, you know. But if you're in somebody's wheel, it's easy to follow. But if there is a gap of three, four, five seconds even with three four five seconds if it's only for a short time you can still maybe bridge it but if it's longer then it's very difficult to bridge it and that was very visible today and i think that van der poel and van aert were the strongest and van der poel um yeah just 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 made the right move and from there on didn't make i wouldn't say any mistakes because mistakes were made but he was able then to continue and uh, finish it off
0: yeah i would say that it was the class of Van der pool to make those moves And that Van Aert isn't really to blame, because that dive bomb just before the sand pit was super late. And Van Aert did really well to react, because he was initially already turning in, and then saw Van der Poel coming, and was, whoa, I'm not going to collide here, I'm going to take the wider line. And it almost succeeded for him. That second move also, Van der Poel to place it there in the more loose dirt, it's a super risky move, and Van Aert you're not going to close that door there because it's going to carry a lot of risk. So I don't think Van Aert is really to blame. The only mistake he made was, I think, to place him at the outside of Van the Poel to try and come around him. He should have done what Thibaut nice did in the under-23 race. If he had stayed in the wheel or tried to cut back the corner, then he might have had a chance to pull along. But I think that realistically that start-finish straight was so short that it wouldn't have mattered all too much the sprint before the sprint decided it it was a nice battle they treated us to an amazing battle and as you say the draft effect played a role that is why it was relatively important to stay in the wheels and if you were a couple of seconds down you could come back when the pace dropped it was almost like a a urban mountain bike race like we have them in the netherlands and I think, to be honest, that I don't mind a course like this. Like, one of them is fine. It's a great misunderstanding that cross needs to be on grass or in mud. It can be on all surfaces, and this is a bit atypical. It's not a cross you see every day, but I've watched some of these Spanish races, especially the ones in the Alicante region, which is where we were today. Those had more... Surfaces like this, relatively fast races, grass or some sand paths. Yeah, it's fine for me, and I don't know how it was for you watching there, but it reminded me a bit of a combination between a modern cross and an old cross. An early 2000 cross like Peinacke or Gestal. they didn't have all too much elevation or man-made hills. They also didn't have too much corners, and that made for fast racing. Today was, without a doubt, the fastest race of the season. Average speeds of 27.5 kilometers per hour. That is rapid fast. So, yeah, I don't mind it. It's something different. Not every cross needs to be the same. But I do think that there might have been a bit too much tarmac.
1: I agree with that. I think that in terms of tarmac, there was maybe a little too much. But I think that the combination the tarmac down with the gravel, and sometimes it was tricky in some of the corners, it made it uh, difficult. It was not only sort of a rose road race, a crit that we were watching. It was, you know, you actually had to have some skills to get through the corners. And I think that part made it the race it was today, you know, a little bit more interesting than, you know, if in in case of... in For example, if you would have had a race today that was... Probably a little bit less uh, technical than it would have been a a race where you would, you know, uh, it it would bore you out in a way and you would say that this is something that has nothing to do with with cyclocross. But I think, like you said, the philosophy is a little bit like those races in, in that era and today was it showed us that in other countries you could do a race that is maybe a little bit atypical, but there is a whole purpose behind this race because when I was there the atmosphere was crazy there are a lot of people that are involved mainly I think personally uh, guys that follow the road a little bit more but they were all they were fans of everybody it was not only when you know with Van der Poel, Van Aarde Pitcock, of course it was uh, obviously a little bit more the reactions but I think overall the whole the whole day it was it was quite busy from the start the people were coming in and it was you know i think everybody enjoyed their time and i think that today proved this concept to be worthy of trying or at least uh, seeing if it's possible maybe to do i wouldn't say with all the races but to have maybe a country that has maybe this 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 amount of of, of people that actually are interested in cyclocross and and see how you can work but i think today it proved that the concept works and are things that they could change but overall it's quite good
0: yeah it was a hole in one because between 15 and seventeen thousand spectators is a lot and it's really special that they get that and in a way it's a bit of a trade-off because on one hand you want to be an urban cross because if you're in an urban area you're going to be able to attract people easy it's close to them they live close they can come they can walk or here in Benidorm, people can drive from Valen- or from Valencia or Alicante, it's not too far from them. So you attract more people, but the downside is that you are relatively limited in terms of courses. I think they try to maximize it here, it's not perfect, there can be some improvements, but it's only the first time they organize it here. And I'm not going to say that the Cyclocross World Cup is perfect, I think there are many things that can be improved, some small things, some big things. But I will give it to Flanders Classics that for the second year in a row, they have added a new event on the calendar. And it's one, adding diversity. Last year we had Valdisol, that was a snow cross. Now we have a fast urban cross. Riders are positive because they can combine it with their training camps. But most important, after last year setting up a new sponsorship model, Valdisol is completely carried by sponsor income, I mean, there are some ticket sales, but they are not significant for their budget. Now they have actually exported the Flemish idea of cross. You organize a cross, you attract more than 10,000 people, they pay 10 or in this case 15 euros for a ticket, and then they spend food on consumption there, which means that spectators generate the revenue needed that you don't rely on sponsors. You rely on a spectator based funding model. And it worked here. And that's a great step. And I expect that we are coming back here to Benidorm next season. And then they can go work on another. They have helped set this up. Next year they can do more things by themselves. And they can focus on, hopefully, London. I have not received any real news on it. But I know they are still working on adding London. And hopefully they can set up London next year. And help develop Dublin even further. And Valdisol is becoming more independent. And... Like this, you are at least creating some new races and not ones that disappear the year after, like we've seen previously in the World Cup. So, no, I'm really positive about that. I think that's great. And in general, the course, it wasn't bad. I think the most fun part must have been the sand section.
1: Yeah, I think that the sand section was definitely very good, especially the things that led up to it and then to get out of it as well. But I think that that the, the the section with in the woods was also quite good it was uh, I think tricky for the riders with the gravel surface but I think that overall that was quite quite an epic place on on TV probably you didn't see it that much but you could definitely see that there was some dust and I, I don't know it, it it created some some interesting um views for for the spectators and there were a lot of spectators actually in the wood as well. So, but overall, it was. I think the course had had definitely some special places, some sections that were definitely good, and I think that overall it was a, a successful, uh, successful race. And you know, it's up uh, up to to Flanders Classic and the organization if they are able to continue, but it seems uh, very promising.
0: Yeah, I would like to finish on that sand section and also conclude a bit on the battle between Van Aert and Van der Poel with. At least my thought on why Van der Poel had the upper hand in the sand. Uh, he was running the P.P. Squalo tire thread, which is a more sand tire. Von Aert was running the Grifo tire thread, as far as I'm aware. And that led to him being a bit more of a tractor in the sand and getting himself stuck in it. The sand looked super loose and super tough. I think they imported it directly from the beach, creating some issues. So I think in general... The sand pit was good, like it caused issues in the sense of it was tough for riders. But I think that is what led to van der Poel being stronger through the sand than van Aert. If we look at the entire top 10, van der Poel took the win ahead of van Aert, as I said. Isabit ended third, ahead of Zweig, who secured the overall World Cup, as Michael van Toerenhout was ill. Fifth place went to Pitcock, that was his last race of the season. Kevin Kuhn ended sixth, ahead of Lars van der Haar. And the final places in the top 10 went to Niels van der Putte, Felipe Orts and Gerben Kuipers. I think we have to mention the ride of Eli Iserbeet, a third place. It's a strong result by him, but I'm also not too surprised by it. Full credit to you, Issam, to predict the entire podium. But, let's be honest, this is a good course for Iserbeet. I would favor him here, especially seeing his form has been improving again. It's almost like an October cross where he usually does well.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the weather was also a bit like October. Eh? It was today, I think it was like 12, 13 degrees, a small cold breeze of wind, but it was overall, it was nice weather, the sun was shining, and yeah, bit maybe got those October vibes uh, for today, but I think that overall you could see that there were some improvements, you know, and he had some difficult moments in this season, but it's going a little bit upwards maybe he was hyped up a little bit too much in the belgium championships but then yet again he didn't have a a full fair race in in that aspect with the crash and i think that today it was a course that suits him well because there are a lot of of, of those like very slow turns with the gravel it's very difficult to really place your weight well and i think that he did it that he did it perfectly you know the maximum achievable for him was probably today third. He, in his enthusiasm and very good form, he almost lost that by trying to follow van der Poel and van Aert. And that almost break him up. But he could recover quickly in time uh, for the last lap and then had enough to hold off Zweig for that third spot.
0: Yeah, I mean, either beat strong result, but Zweig behind him, it's a solid performance by him. It's not the perfect course for him. So fourth is more than good enough, and he needed to end top 9 to win the overall, and I think he basically had it locked in already, but now it's just a confirmation with one to go, he is the winner. Pitcock in fifth, some more news on him, he had some injuries after the crash in Baal, he had some damage to one of his nerves, he missed one week of training, but still came here to raise Benidorm, I think it was just that he had an agreement with Flanders Classics to do it and he honored that agreement. Kuhn in six looked to be eager to prove that there was an incident last week that he lost the national title to Rueck. Rueck was in the top 10 at some point but eventually ended 15th. Lars van der Haar that tad disappointing especially on this course but he was sick in the week before the Nationals went deep there and that is why it's important to place a bit of a side note here. There's many riders going on training camp here. Usually they wouldn't race now. Now that it's close, they do race. They do this instead of an intensive training. So it's important to note that different riders are on different fitness levels here. Some riders are tired from a week of training, others aren't. For instance, Van Aert did 140 kilometers of training the day before the race, whilst a rider like Izabiet was practicing the course. Van der Poel also went for a long road ride the day before the race. They clearly didn't really prepare for this race, whilst others did. I think for the rest in the top 10, no real surprises, except another strong result by German Kuipers, which leaves us that we, well, we have to mention him. Felipe Orts, ninth in his home World Cup. He was cheered on by a lot of Spanish fans, as you said, an electric atmosphere. And the ninth place is then a very nice result for him. It was basically his home race, because not only was it in Spain, it was like... What was it 50 kilometers something from his hometown yeah roughly it, it was
1: um you know it's for him it's somewhere that he comes to quite a lot and when the organizers kind of had their plans to um, to create this race he was involved in not in a way that that he was uh, he knew how the track how the course would be but he was involved in the sense that he really wanted to know what was going on and um, you know, for him, this race is, is special and you could see it how he how he took it on. He, he gave a lot of time to his fans. Uh, he gave an interview just before before the um, I think it was before the no, it was during the men's on the 23 race, gave an interview in the in the wreck on the reckon day on the Saturday, uh, the official reckon uh, from from the from the course. And I think that overall he, you know, he was enjoying his time. But it adds also a little bit of pressure and and maybe some energy that goes to things that you normally wouldn't spend on. And, you know, it's for him, he had to enjoy it. And I think he did. He really enjoyed it. He tried to take it in. And I think overall for him, the results, you know, the ninth place is something that he he wouldn't be bothered with. I think he's already very happy that the race happened and that he was able to at least, you know, have a good race, you know, for... I think that the, the results... Overall, it's not that important, but I think him as a rider in cyclocross is, is important for cyclocross in, in, in Spain, and uh, he knows that role, and he's you know he's um, you know trying to be
0: the
1: trying to be the foundation of of cyclocross in Spain, and it works out well for him at the moment, and the fans uh, love him.
0: Let's go and talk about the women's race then, and it was unsurprisingly Mary Schreiber who had the fastest start. The brand new national champion of Luxembourg was eager to show her kit, but unfortunately for her, it didn't last all too long before Femme van Empel took over. We had a relatively big leading group in the first lap, but eventually we got to a situation with four leaders Femme van Empel, Puck Pieterse, Sherin van Anrooy, and Sylvia Persico. Between these riders, there were a couple of attacks, and it looked to be that Fem Van, Van Empel and Puck Pieterse were slightly stronger than the other two. Van Androoy and Persko got dropped multiple times, but managed to come back multiple times as well. Even in the final lap, they were still together, but on what truly was one of the most insane road attacks I have seen in Cross, well, especially Women's Cross ever, Fem Van, Van Empel attacked in the final lap on the uphill stretch. She basically made the legs of Persico go poof, then the legs of van Arnrooy went poof, they just got dropped straight from the wheel whilst van Empel was sitting. Petersen was hanging on for dear life and she managed to make it to the top of the climb. And that really wasn't everything for her. She managed to take the lead even, van Empel was surprised, but Petersen made a mistake. She was distracted by a lap rider and overshot the corner into the technical downhill. Van Empel took the lead, but Petersen, who knew she had to try and force something on the barriers, managed to regain the lead after the steep banking, just before they went into the park section again. An impressive move by Petersen, who fought hard to take the lead towards the barriers, but ultimately also overshot the corner going to the barriers. That meant that Van, Van Empel went over the barriers first. Petersen tried to pull alongside, but couldn't do so. From there on, they were basically in a similar scenario as van Aert and van der Poel. Pieterse couldn't get by, and once they went onto the tarmac, she knew it, Fem van Empel was going to take the win. Van Empel took the win ahead of Puck Pieterse. Behind that, van Androoy managed to take third, so Persico needed to settle for fourth. Some mistakes there in the final lap by Pieterse Issam. Is that your main takeaway, or are you still a bit blown away by that fabulous road attack by Fem van Empel? (laughs)
1: <laughs> both I think that the, the racing was definitely good but that attack was uh, was insane from Van Ampel, to be honest sitting in the saddle you've mentioned it a couple of times that that is a weapon from Van Ampel, but but well, yet again it was uh, demonstrated and uh, it was a, it was an ugly attack it was very sharp and you know both Persico and Falanroy had all the difficulties in the world to follow and eventually had to drop and Petersen today was very strong. I think on a course like this, Peterson normally should—I wouldn't say should have struggled—but I think that Van Empel would have won it a little bit easier. And I think today Peterson actually gave it a fair shot. Was you know gave a gave it made it a tough win for for Van Empel, But in the end, Van Empel was uh, was the winner. I mean, Peterson made some mistakes in the last lap that eventually led to van ampel you know being ahead but i think that overall van ampel was probably on a course like this in the last lap it's always difficult to beat van ampel and there is no shame in being second for 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 peterson i think that in the end the race played out as you kind of kind of predicted it and not the way i predicted it with uh, <laughs> with all the positions uh, being wrong on the podium so i think that overall the people definitely enjoyed this race today
0: I guess uh, you win some, you lose some, you with the men's prediction, and, uh, well, I got some of the women's predictions right for once, but that attack by Van Empel on the road, it, it's, it should be illegal to attack like that. I mean, come on. Just seated? Are you serious? Seated? I thought I was watching Fabian Cancellara drop Tombone in the Tour of Flanders. Like, what was going on? Sure, Persico and Van André went deep to come back, but... Van Empel takes over the lead seated, and she ups her cadence, and shifts three gears bigger. And you can just see, like, I watched it back a couple of times, and first, Persico, that face, and it's like, poof, finished. Van Androoy, who we know is a good road rider, is out of the saddle, hanging on for her life, and poof, legs go. And then Pieterse, whilst Van Empel is apparently just chilling, it doesn't even look like it cost her any effort. Like, how? Peters is out of the saddle. And she looked just like Van der Poel did when Van der Poel won Milan... No, Strade Bianche in 2021. Also in a Dutch champion kit, which is the exact same one Peters is wearing now. And she's hanging on. That face, that grinta. And then, the most disgusting part is when they come to that roundabout. Van Empel still has the energy to get out of the saddle. Ah... That was something else. If this is anything to lead up to the road season, I think we are going to see a lot from Fem van den this road season. Because that wh- the way that she is able to put out the power seated, it's phenomenal. That seated acceleration, we've said it a couple of times, is just out of this world. And it showed today. And it's very special that Peterson managed to hang on. So far for my praising of Fem van Empel, because said despite those two mistakes, deserves some praising as well. I thought she was super eager today. Getting the elbows out, getting the shoulders out. She matured in the season. She now has learned that you don't always need to be nice. It's not bad to get your elbows out. It's not bad to get your shoulders out. It's not bad to squeeze someone. It's part of the sport. And she's really understanding the game now. And that if you want to beat Femme von Nempel. Especially on a course like this. You might need to get some not so nice tricks out of your back. And she pulled them today. I think it's unfortunate that she was distracted by the back marker. Which caused her to overshoot the corner before the downhill. I think that would be a different scenario. Because who knows what she could have done there. And then the corner before the barriers that was just a bit of a mistake but again the corner before the second pit zone another lapped rider getting involved causing Puck PugPetersen to also miss that corner again 80% rule not doing its work but we've ranted enough about that in the Christmas period so back to Puck PugPetersen great mindset and if she's able to race like that and the course suits her a bit better that's a plus point she has because I haven't seen Fem Van Empel do that yet I mean
1: we, we have seen some sparks of Van Empel showing that she is able to to write like that or at least have this this way of of, of you know having the elbows a little bit out and, and be a bit more I wouldn't say aggressive but just stay your ground and and try to maintain your position or improve it I think that for Brandt for example is definitely someone that that is very good at that that definitely knows how to use the elbows definitely knows how to put herself in a position that she will you know force you wide and she will take that position from you and stuff and those tricks you know they're legal that's that's cyclocross and that's how you have to play it and like you said i think today peterson was definitely you know maybe in spain with the grinta but overall in this season is you know she has been going quite well and she definitely made a step, matured. Maybe is a very good word. Uh, the progression that she has made over over this season, and like I said, on a course like this, uh, be giving such a hard battle to Van Empel, I think it's uh, it's promising uh, for the the next coming weeks and the World Championships. But I think overall, for the next, you know, it's very hard to speculate for the next coming years. But
0: it's you know,
1: it it looks very promising.
0: Then on the rider slightly behind Van Empel and Pieterse, for Persico and 4th I can be short, she needs some lessons in tactics, sitting in 4th wheel in such a race is not smart to say the least, because despite there not being that many corners, there were certainly enough corners to cause her to need to accelerate more and waste more energy. And about Van Androy, I've been doing some research towards the training efforts that they have done. We know that Van Androy skipped the Nationals to do training here. I said this in the men's part as well. It's a question. Who is where on their form level or their peak level, their training schedule towards Worlds? For Van Androy it's clear. She's been training here with the Trek road team. Everyone from Trek was here. Their mountain bikers as well. Madigan Munro was here. Evie Richards was here. And what we saw was that Van Anrooy has done by far the most training out of the big three of the women's side. I don't have any data for Persico, unfortunately. But Van Androy has done multiple five-hour rides. She was here for over a week. Many four-hour rides. When I look at the data of Fem Van Empel, who was with Jumbo, they did completely a different program than what Trek did. She did one four-hour ride and I think a test, they had a test day, and then two relatively short rides, and the rest day in. That's very different to Van Androoy, who's been loading herself with endurance. Pieterse, she did just one four-hour ride, I think Van Empo actually did two, and then Pieterse did two three-hour rides, and that basically seemed to be it. needed to recover after Nationals, of course. So it's fair to say that Wanoi wasn't the freshest here, and I think it showed. I also think the course didn't really suit her, but that training will definitely have an effect. And I think the program towards peaking towards Worlds is looking relatively good. Of course, it's always a bit careful, like, do you perfectly time it? But I can definitely see the work that's being done and how that should function towards a good peak at Worlds. And that tiredness, I think we could see a similar effect on Lucinda Brandt. Her second and third lap were relatively tough. They were lap times of just under 7.50 for reference. Van Empel and Petersen did 7.30, so that's 20 seconds per lap. But in the final phases of the race, she was able to push her lap times down and get into the 7.30s again, that's probably also a sign that Brandt felt some tiredness after not only a busy Christmas period, but also a big block of training here still towards the Worlds. And overall, the race by Brandt was not bad because she still managed to overtake Vorst, who was basically in fifth for the entire race.
1: Yeah, indeed. I, I think that, that Brandt actually today was... It wasn't it was not bad it was quite okay i think that's for her especially like you you say the, the training was probably very hard and then obviously with the busy periods that that was before it was it's almost logical the way it went today and like you said, it might be a sign of fatigue that, that you know, in the first part you were able a little bit to, get, to go through it and then it gets a bit tougher and then you're actually able to get the laps up again. The body kind of gets, you know, kind of used to the effort that you're doing and then it's a bit easier to, to go through it. And I think for Brandt, it's now, you know, she has been in a constant pursuit of having a good form. Seems like it's coming right now. So I think for her, it's just, Hoping that it will be in time for the worlds that she has a, maybe a shot of a podium. You don't know, but I think that's you know for her it's uh, a case of just trying to 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 do her best and the form will probably come by itself.
0: And it's a bit the question how she will bounce back from what is a tough season. I still can't really forget the races in the beginning of the season when she was fighting with Van Empel. I would have really loved to see what could have been. I am convinced that a complete fit season Lucinda Brandt would have been able to fight with the three we have seen now that could have made it even more interesting. It was kind of what I predicted pre season as well that we would see a strong Van Empel, Petersen, Van Anroy, but that Brandt and I expected a lot more from Vos that they would be able to fight with them. But unfortunately, it wasn't to be. And if we will see it at the World Championships, I don't know, it's hard to say. Let's look at the entire top 10, because we can speculate, but we can keep that for the preview podcast for Worlds. We went over the top 5 of Van Empel, Petersen, van Android, Persico and Brandt. 6th place went to Vorst. bit of an anonymous race on an island, Got overtaken by Brandt in the final stages. Good 7th place by Zoe Backset, ahead of Lien Burkier, Magalie Rochette and Helene Clausel, the newly crowned French champion in 10th. So I think we need to talk a bit about Backstead and Burkier some. Backstead, it's a return to the levels that we saw in the beginning of the Christmas period, when she had really good results. 4th in Gavere, 4th and Mole. It's a good result, 7th. Of course, maybe not perfect for her, but still not bad. And then Burkier in 8th. You have a, a lot more insights on her race than we do.
1: Well, <laughs> a lot more, I don't know, but... I don't know how the broadcast exactly went for, for the women's race and what there was seen from Burké, but from what I saw, it was especially that, that long straight uh, that, that is going up quite, I wouldn't say, yeah, quite steep actually. She she was climbing very well. And on a course like this where you need the power, um, you can definitely say that this is definitely not a course that suits her well. You know, she can get definitely get some of the technique going. But actually actually crashed. I think it was lap two probably where she crashed. Um, that didn't help her, but in the end I think that if you take that crash in consideration and the, the fact that she kept going, she can like really, really uh, take take the the, 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 the effort to, to another level. She she can really suffer on a bike and that's what you need to to be a good cyclist and to be a good cyclocross rider. And I think today from her it was Uh, you might not think that it is a special effort but for me it it looked very good and it looked very promising and like i said on a course especially like this where you cannot really find her ability which is probably climbing uh, she in my opinion did a very good job
0: i mean there was some climbing involved and i guess that did help her but still it's a rider who usually does well on bit more extreme mountain bike courses with climbing and mud and it's a good result and I definitely think a road team should sign her because despite being super talented in mountain biking I do think there's a very good road climber in her. Seen her posture, seen that she basically weighs nothing and has very good watts, yeah I think that would definitely be a road signing and She's made a lot of progression on the faster courses this year, whereas for Bakset, I think we always knew that she could do it on fast courses, especially considering that she's not the most technical rider. But it still needed to come out this season, because in Maasmechelen and Beeksebergen, probably the two fastest courses, or two of the fastest courses we've seen. We also had Firefield and Waterloo and Tabor, but you get the point. There, Bakset wasn't even in the top 20, so... It's good to see that progression continue, and we have to mention Magali Rochette in ninth because that was a surprise, not only pre-race, but even during the race. I only saw her name pop by in the overview in the bottom, like around 15th, sometimes a bit higher, but there was a big peloton there, and I guess where Voss and van der Heide went backwards towards the end of the race, Rochette kept the steady pace up, and claimed a world cup top 10 which is a great result for her
1: i definitely think so i think she was uh, riding quite well and overall i think that you could definitely see that there was something behind it and that's what you need on a course like this so i think that in the end rochette can be very satisfied with the result in the end
0: i still have some names to mention outside of the top 10 i mean first of all hats off to helene clausel 10th is a good result for her outside of the top 10 I am disappointed by Marianne Vos, especially seeing the fact that she was going relatively well in the middle part of the race, running in 5th, running in 6th, but then ultimately it all faded for her and she blew up, it's definitely not what she hoped for and a bit of a surprise, and I think many riders that took initiative in the middle part of the race paid for it in the final part of the race, Bakker, van der Heide, van Alpha all dropped back a bit, but I'm not complaining, it's uh, nice to see a bit of a refreshing top 10 for once with um only well still 50 percent of the flags are dutch but nice to see some other flags in there and finally a mention of catablanca vash not a great result for her 19th took a tumble in the reckon in the course practice yesterday so that might have influenced her Whilst you were watching the training yesterday Isam, I was watching an exact cross in Zonnebeke. The men's race was actually surprisingly entertaining with a large group of riders fighting for the win, seven riders throughout most of the race. Eventually Timmerlier managed to break away in the f- penultimate lap I think and he opened the gap over Ryan Kamp and David van der Poel. He took his first cyclocross win since 2013 or something. It was immediately his last cross race of the season. He's now preparing for the road. The woman's race was won by Denise Betzma, that was super boring. She rode away in the early phases of the race, already in the first lap, won on pure class, deserved the win, had more than a minute on Mario Norbert Ribeiro in second, and Austin Killips ended third. I do wonder what happened with Betšma's plan to go on training camp in Spain. Maybe it got cancelled for whatever reason or we don't know, but could see her take her second win of the season regardless. Then back to Benidorm Isam. I know we don't usually cover the youth races, but today we have to mention the story of Thibaut Nice. Fill us in on what happened in the under-23 race.
1: Well, in the under-23 race, it was mainly uh, Thibaut Del Grosso and Emil Verstrengen that, that looked very good, Michels as well. Uh, nice was up there with them but then had an issue probably a puncture or something like that when he was passing the the camper just before the exit of of the woods section Uh, and then he I think he was a bit distracted by the fact that there was something wrong with his bike and he crashes in that like that chicane that they have put in just before the exit of the woods and uh, yeah the knee uh, a bit wounded um, he had then another crash and a puncture uh, so in the end everything was against him but remontada that's that's the word that you can use for the uh, the performance of Nice today it was he came back to the front uh, in the end also you know the Del grosso turns into that corner the last corner first is the f- one leading the sprint and we have seen that if you come out of that corner first it's almost impossible for the rider behind to make an attempt and, and, and get you before the line and Nice was just able to to demoralize Del Grosso in the sprint. After the race Del Grosso said that that he was going and then he felt that Nice was coming so fast and you know then it it, it kinda just gets in, 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 in the legs and Nice today was 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 really good. Was actually very good. And despite everything after the race, I've seen him as well, he looked fresh there was not, not that it was really a very tough race for him uh so i think that performance is is, is truly truly great uh and it tells something about uh, his level at the moment that you know for the uh the men's on the 23 in my opinion uh, looking at it now that there is it's it's i don't know who's going to beat him there because with all the bad luck that he had today he was still able to get through and to eventually win the race and that, you know, on a course like this, that's very difficult. And he still managed to, to fo- to, to, to to you know, motivate himself, even if it's going a bit wrong and he got himself uh, to the victory.
0: Nah, Isam, these are dangerous, dangerous statements you are making. I have learned it the hard way with saying that Denise Bettsma could basically not lose the X2O trophy when you think it's certain. And look where I am. I'm in a position where Betsema is more than two minutes behind in that trophy. Yes, I I, I agree. I I agree. Nice is very good, but don't forget, when we went to the European Championships this year, we were all saying, yeah, Nice has been by far the best under-23 rider, maybe Ronhaar, But what happened? He had a puncture and lost so much time that he ended third. And it's a bit of a thing with Nice on championships that things don't really go... His way almost like he has some of the genes of his young father but still I agree he should be the favorite going in but I'm just going to say so many things can happen Uh, after what happened with Betsma, I'm not making some of these statements like he can basically not lose anymore
1: (laughs) yeah I I agree for sure and obviously the sport of cyclocross has a lot of uh, surprises for us but you know I I just I just say what I what I think and for me, the, the it's it's going to be very difficult. Let's just put it that way. It's going to be very difficult to find an opponent for Nice. I think the main opponent for Nice is going to be himself, and the bike. Uh, and and other than that, I think that's for me, uh, you can you can bank in a lot of a lot of things on the fact that Nice is going to be to be the winner there in the men's under twenty three category. I, I, I take the the risks in this uh, statement.
0: Well, we will see because he is obviously in very good form and it's pretty obvious that he's the favourite going into the World Championships. But we'll need to wait and see because with Nice, you never know. Today was very good, but if his back doesn't hold anymore, then it can be completely the opposite in a couple of days' time. But I do hope for him that he takes the win there because I think he would deserve it based on the season he's been by far... The most consistent and best under-23 won all four under-23 World Cups. He is even skipping the World Cup in Besançon next week because he wants an extra day of recovery towards Worlds and doesn't fancy the travel, which he can do because your worst result doesn't count in the youth category. So, based on that, I understand his choice. Bit unfortunate for Besançon, they are the final and still looking to be skipped by many athletes, but it is what it is. Sam, thank you for your insights from Spain. I hope you enjoyed your stay there for the World Cup.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, it was perfect. The stay was uh, was great here. So I really enjoyed it. Re- enjoyed the atmosphere. And the racing was also very good, which helped. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm very happy here. And tomorrow I go back to the Netherlands.
0: Yeah, back to the shit weather here. Um, I hope uh, I said that you enjoyed it. Glad to see that you most likely did. It also brings an end to our long campaign of the discount code of the Benidorm Cyclocross World Cup. So uh, maybe you'll get some new ads on our next episodes and not the same old Benidorm Cyclocross Worlds. But uh, no. Thanks everyone for listening. And we will be back with an episode ahead of the World Cup in Besançon this week. And then a double weekend before Worlds next weekend. So see you guys. It's uh, two more weeks until Worlds. Stay tuned. Goodbye.